0: So today is sort of a big day. Um, Today is sort of a really historic day in our church. I was saying earlier that we have, you know, we started back in 2012, and it it kind of, it's, it's, we've seen God move in so many ways. And I described it to Sarah almost like reading a book, and you never know what the next chapter is going to bring. And every chapter that we read has new people. It has old people, and every time you turn the page, some of those characters get written off, some other characters get written in, and then also sometimes the characters come back to the book, and it's just this beautiful story of how God is writing the story of the Church of Impact City. You know, here in Corpus Christi, he's writing that story, and every time we come to church, it's a new page, a new chapter in that book, and it's just incredible. And as we're turning the page today and going to two services we're kind of leaving behind this whole idea that that we that we used to just meet once and that was it like now we're meeting twice and you're like thinking man we don't even have enough people to fill the seats but if you remember last week we talked about how god is going to provide and so as as, as great as it is i want you to know that greater things are to come for impact city church but even greater things are to come for corpus christi amen even greater things are to come for this city because we are a voice that is begging to be heard. We are a light that is desperately wanting to be shined upon the hill here in Corpus Christi. And we are a movement of a church that is desperately wanting to be felt by the hearts of those who are lost and seeking some sort of love from Jesus Christ. And that doesn't get your blood pumping. I don't know what will. Amen? Come on. Come on. You guys are asleep. It's, one, it's 1.15. It's Wake up. If I had to describe today, it would say it's, like I say it's a turning point in our church history, but it's also a turning point within the gospel of Mark. If you're new here today, if you, if you haven't figured out yet, we go verse by verse through the gospel of Mark, and we've been going through this since January 2014, and we're all the way through chapter 11. And the last 10 chapters have just been phenomenal. They've been great. But what we find ourselves at today is sort of the beginning of the end in the gospel of Mark. Chapter 11 is the beginning of the end in the Gospel of Mark. And if I had to describe it like a movie, I would say it's sort of like Star Wars, where Luke is fixing to fight Darth Vader. It's the beginning of the end. This anticipation, this climax in the movie is a fixing to to begin. Or if it was Titanic, and for some reason we're watching Titanic, and it's the moment where the the ship hits the iceberg, and then all craziness starts to happen, you know? If we're watching Batman or The Dark Knight, it's Batman going toe-to-toe with Bane, in front of City Hall, that's the moment that it's all about to get crazy, and the war is about to break out, and I can list more and more movies, let's just say The Notebook, okay, where Rachel McAdams is in the boat, and she's like, looking at him, and she's like, why haven't you written me for the whole year, you never wrote anything to me, he's like, woman, I did write you for the whole year, and it starts to rain, and they have that kiss, and I've always wanted to have that kiss with Sarah, but she's always like, no, I'm wet, you know, and so all these great things, these climaxes in these movies, and this is the climax in the gospel of mark this moment where the bible is coming and there was a shift about to happen in the storyline and we're fixing to see it here today this shift that is going to start the beginning of the end of the gospel of mark so if you have your bibles i hope you do open them up to the gospel of mark chapter 11 if you don't have your bibles we have them on the edge of the rows they're going to be up on the screen and as always you can turn to the facebook page And look, and the scripture has been posted, you can go ahead and do that. And while you're there, go ahead and check in to let let someone know what God is doing here at Impact City Church. Okay? So while you guys are turning there, let me kind of set this up. As we get to the Gospel of Mark, as we're entering into this really significant time, it's really important to understand that chapters 1 through 10 have actually time been a descriptive kind of, um, you know, highlighted passages of the great, awesome things that have happened in Jesus' ministry. So chapters 1 through 10 have discussed the first three years of Jesus' ministry, and the last six chapters of the Gospel of Mark are literally going to focus on one week of Jesus' life, his last week of his life. Ten chapters focused on three years of Jesus' life verses. One week of his life described in six chapters. If there was ever a time that we needed to really pay attention and listen to what God was saying, it would be here because he is literally taking a week of Jesus' life and expanding on it for six chapters. This is the time where we have to listen. As we find out, as we start this whole, this whole change, this whole turn of the page, we see that Jesus is entering Jerusalem. To be God's one and only lamb, uh, spotless lamb, who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's coming into Jer- Jerusalem for this. So if you have your Bibles, let's read along. It's going to be up on the screen as well. This is what's going on. It Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need for it, and and send it back here immediately. And and they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it. I said so they threw their clothes, they threw their, their cloaks on top of the coat, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread the leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, at this, when it it was late, and he went to Bethany with the 12. Jesus literally comes into town on the back of a donkey like a boss. He rolls up into town. People are screaming and shouting. There was a huge crowd there. I want you to imagine just the masses of people who are welcoming Jesus, okay? Maybe not like thousands, but maybe like maybe maybe hundred, you know, but that's a lot of people. I don't know how many times you go somewhere and there's a hundred people waiting for you there. If that's a normal thing for you, then you're awesome. You should be up here preaching. But Jesus goes and there's hundreds of people crying out for Jesus. There's hundreds of people who are just there and they're worshiping him. They're screaming out, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of of King David. And their hands are lifted high and they're laying branches down on the street and they're laying their coats down on the street. And I wouldn't even suspect that there might be a tear or two rolling down someone's face as they see Jesus coming through the town. And they know something big is about to happen. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He's coming home. Here he comes. And they're freaking out and they're excited about it. But at this point, everything seems great. Like At this moment in life, everything seems so wonderful that Jesus is coming into town. But as you and I both know, something terrible is fixing to happen. In the course of the next few days, something terrible is fixing to happen. Because the same crowd that is once screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, will soon be screaming, Crucify him, crucify him. And calling for the death. Jesus. So what went wrong? What went wrong in this moment? What would cause a crowd of people who are so intent on worshiping Jesus to to stop crying out and, and with passion for him, to stop being so excited for him and start cursing at him and start calling for his blood on the cross? Through crucifixion What changed in their, their, their thoughts What changed their opinions about this guy In the back of a donkey What was it that made them start doing this See Jesus the Savior King Is making his way into Jerusalem And because me and you know the story And how it ends We know that he's actually coming in to, 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 uh, to die We know he's coming in to die That his purpose for riding into Jerusalem is simply to come and be sacrificed for the sins of the world. You and I know that. We've read this story hundreds of times. We know the outcome. So it's really no surprise for us. In fact, we have been seeing it foreshadowed in the past two chapters of Mark 9 and 10. Jesus is saying, right, guys, I'm here. I'm the Messiah, but guess what? I'm going to die. And they're like, no, you're not going to die. Like, yes, I am, Peter. I'm going to die. I know you get a little crazy. Listen, I'm going to die. You know? And so they're always kind of, you know, the disciples are learning this, and we should know this by now, that Jesus... His purpose is to die. For me and you, we know that. But for the Jews at the time, seeing Jesus riding on the donkey, they didn't know that. They didn't realize he was doing that. See, the Jews at the time believed that their Messiah, their chosen one, their Savior, was going to come to to Jerusalem and rule with power and authority. In fact, when they were screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were actually screaming out this word in the Hebrew called Yasha, which really means Savior, Deliverer. So they see Jesus and they're like, Savior, Savior, our Deliverer, save us, help us, you're here. And that's why they were so excited and pumped up to see Jesus. See, they thought that he had finally accepted his Messiahship. When they saw Jesus, they knew that he was the Messiah. They thought, finally, this guy who has been healing people, this guy who has this reputation of feeding thousands of people, this guy who has all this great, this great knowledge, and this guy who speaks with authority and power, who can cast out demons, is finally stepping up to the plate. And he's stepping into his Messiahship, and he's going to roll into town, and he's going to take care of everything that is oppressing us. He's going to take care of the Roman government. He's going to kill all of our enemies. He's going to make an earthly kingdom for us, and we're going to become the greatest nation, as promised to us in the world. And we're going to just reign and rule. And He's going to come in. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. See, they, this has been their their messianic hope all along. They had hoped for Jesus to come in and rule with an iron fist. They had hoped for Jesus to come in and change the world that they once knew. They had hoped for Jesus to come in and end all suffering. They had hoped for Jesus to come in and eradicate those who were against them. This is the Jesus they had loved. But as they realized, as the week was to go on, and as Jesus was to start having the Last Supper and, 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 and going into the temple, and you'll see in, in, the, in the next few chapters the things he says, they're going to realize that Jesus is not doing what we thought Jesus was going to do. And because of that... They went from praises and just joy and excitement to turning violently against Jesus. See, what went wrong was not the fact that Jesus wasn't going to be able to live up to their expectations. No, Jesus could definitely live up to their expectations. In fact, with a, a swipe of a hand, a snap of a finger, he could have eradicated Rome and lifted up his, heavenly, his earthly kingdom for everyone. He could have done that, but that's not the message that Christ brought. The problem was that the Jews at the time were worshiping a Jesus of their own making. The problem was that the Jews were worshiping a Jesus of their own making. See, the Jews were very oppressed by the Romans at the time. And for years and years, they had been reading these Old Testament scriptures and prophecies, things that were, that were talking about the upcoming Messiah. And they were very excited to see this Messiah coming, but they were very selective about what they were reading. They were picking and choosing for themselves what they liked about this new great Messiah, this new great Savior. And it prompted them to start believing in something that really wasn't there. See, they liked all the prophecies that promised about the one that was coming to establish a kingdom and rescue them and save them. They liked those prophecies, but they chose to probably ignore like Isaiah 53 that talked about him being pierced for our transgressions and having to do so through pain and suffering and death. See, it didn't fit their idea of what a Savior, a Messiah, should be. The Jesus that they wanted was not the Jesus that was riding in that day. See, Jesus didn't do that. In fact, the message of Jesus was totally against that. The message that Jesus brought had nothing to do with building an earthly kingdom. The message of Jesus had nothing to do with becoming healthy, wealthy, and successful. The message of Jesus had nothing to do about those things. In fact, the message of Jesus can be summed up a little bit more accurately in Matthew 16. Check this out. He says this, when Jesus talks about it, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For it will for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his, his soul? Jesus came with the message that if we are to follow him, we are to die to ourselves, just like he would die for us. And the Jews didn't like it at the time. They didn't like it. They were so against it that it literally went in. one year and out the other just like it probably did for you right now the fact that we just said that jesus wants us to die to ourselves probably went in through one year and out the other for you right now you probably just listened to it and just kind of it just went in and out quickly the fact that jesus wants us to die to ourselves should shake us to the core it should move in us the problem is, if we're honest, we can do the same thing that the Jewish people were doing and creating our own Savior. Creating the Savior that we want versus the Savior that really is. We can sit in church and listen to sermons and pick and choose the parts of the message that we want to remember. We can pick and choose the cool things that the pastor says versus the things that step on our toes. And when we go home, we're like, "I really liked what he said, but oh, I, I want to ignore what he said about this." And we can go home and we can be reading our Bibles, and our highlighters will only touch the verses that make us feel good about ourselves. Our highlighter will only touch the verses that talk about God's great plan for us versus what God requires of us to get there. We can be praying to God, listening to God. I mean, yes, God, amen. Yes, God, amen. But as soon as he says, maybe you should do this, or it is my will that you were to do this, and that leads us into a moment of being uncomfortable, we say, whoa, maybe, maybe there was something wrong in the transaction here, God. Maybe there, that something was misunderstood, and you choose to ignore it because it brings you to a point of being uncomfortable with yourself. See, in church world, we call this custom Christianity. It's sort of like when you go to a dealership and you want to order a car and you custom build it by parts that you want. It's the same thing. When we customize our Christianity, we pick and choose the things about Jesus that we like and we ignore the things about Jesus that makes us feel uncomfortable or pushes us to become uh, different people than who we are. If you're like the Jews at the time, if you're in that crowd believing this about Jesus, maybe maybe you've created a Jesus already of your own understanding. Maybe you've created your own Savior. Maybe you've customized a Jesus that makes you feel good. There's many examples of this, but I'm going to give you a couple of them right here. Maybe you're worshiping Prozac Jesus. Yes, I said Prozac Jesus. Maybe you've created a Jesus that makes you feel good. A Jesus that is therapeutic to your soul. A Jesus that is simply there to, to help you feel great all the time. Because after all, the world that we're living in is dark and it's scary and it's terrible. And we all just need to feel good. We can't ignore the news coverage of violence around the world. In fact, right now across the Atlantic, over one million refugees are fleeing from Syria because of war. Right now, we can't ignore the fact that Texas has laid to rest a DPS officer who was shot by simply pumping gas. And we cannot ignore the fact that just lots and lots of more people are getting shot and violence and crime is going up in the United States. We cannot ignore that. But when we watch news coverage like that, when you worship your Prozac Jesus and you watch things about that, all you want to do is run back to your room, pick up your Prozac Jesus, and say, yes, I feel good. This is the guy that you worship that tells you, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm in control. I love you. Everything is good. This is all part of my plan, and you're going to be 100% safe in it. Everything is going to be okay, and everything is awesome. And those are good things that Jesus tells us, and he does tell us those things. But it's not the only thing he tells us. Somebody think that, that by, 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 by believing in that, it's really great faith. But I challenge you to say, maybe it's not great faith, but maybe it's just you choosing to be less sympathetic to the world because when we believe like that that everything is great we can ignore the fact that there are kids who are hungry when we believe that that everything is great and everything is awesome we ignore the fact that there are more slaves today in the world than there have ever been in the history of the world when you take that Prozac Jesus that says that everything is great and everything's awesome and it's great and and you're going to be just fine what we're really saying to the world is, "I'd rather just take this and enjoy my dinner. I'd rather take this and enjoy my time alone with my wife and my kids, and I don't want to think about the damage of the world." See, Jesus. Jesus wants us to know that, yes, He is in absolute control, but he is also willing to feel the pain of the world. Why shouldn't we? He calls us to do the same. Like a pastor that I follow says this, he says, we ought not to use the sovereignty of God as an excuse not to care. That we can't just take for granted because Jesus is in control that we should not even care about the outcome of the world. As Christians, we ought to be the most deeply deeply caring people of the earth. So maybe you're following Prozac Jesus. Or maybe you've created a whole other Jesus to follow. Maybe you've created the Walmart Jesus. The Walmart Jesus. The Walmart Jesus is the place that you go to get everything you need and things that you didn't even know you needed. You know, that's Walmart. And you go there, and whenever you need something, you go to Jesus. And he gives you everything you want. But if he doesn't give you what you want... If you go there and one day he doesn't give you the husband that you want, the job that you want, the relationship that you want, the comfort that you want, then it's just as easy to say, you know what? I'm going to go across the street to Target and find another Savior to fulfill my needs. I'm going to run across the street and start looking someplace else for my needs. I tend to see this with a lot of singles, the ones who say that they love Jesus so much But the second that he tells them that sex before marriage is a sin, they chose to leave Jesus, latch on to someone else that's going to meet their needs. And that person leads them closer to bed than versus closer to Jesus. To the true Jesus always gives you what you need, even if it means not giving you what you want. The true Jesus that we follow, not the Walmart Jesus, the true Jesus who cares less about your happiness when it goes against his holiness. That's the true Jesus. And maybe you've created and you've chosen to believe in the district attorney Jesus. You choose to believe in district attorney Jesus. And he's the personal authority, the personal authority and attorney in your life that is always there to seek justice just for you. He's the one that you pray to when you want your ex to have a bad day. He's the one that you pray to that for the company who fired you, that maybe that company will one day go bankrupt. He is the Jesus that you pray to. That you, when you want something done to satisfy just your needs, you pray for him. You want him to represent you and seek justice. And because you believe in the district attorney Jesus, you believe you're always on the side of the justice, no matter how wrong you might be. And then you struggle with self-righteousness. See, the true Jesus, though, not only offers us an understanding of the sins of the people around us, he also offers us an understanding of the sins of the people In our own hearts. So while we might believe in Him, the true Jesus will always tell us the sins of our own hearts. He's not only offering us forgiveness for the sins of everyone else, but He's also offering us forgiveness for our own sins. Maybe you've created and chosen to believe in the retirement plan, Jesus. The retirement plan, Jesus. This is the Jesus that you pray all the time to, this is the one that you always pay your monthly dues to. The one that you say, I will pray every day. I will love you and I will... uh, like faithfully tithe all the time I will read my Bible daily I will go to church all the time I'll even serve in the children's ministry As much as you need Lord As long as you promise heaven to me I will keep on doing whatever works it takes Whatever good righteous deeds I need to do Just so I can get to heaven I just, I, I just want to be a good standing with you So I'd rather overachieve than underachieve Or I'm going to just deposit as much dues Into this retirement Jesus that I can As long as I get heaven. Problem is, is that the true Jesus says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And so no matter how good we think we can be, no matter how much of a Mother Teresa you might be, no matter how many times you pray and serve and do your best, in the eyes of Jesus, it's just like our filthy rag. And so understanding that, we know that the true Jesus looks at us and says, it's not about what you can do, but it's about what I've already done. The retirement Jesus will never save you or get you to heaven, no matter how much you deposit into his account. Looking at all these examples, let me ask you this. Are you worshiping the Jesus of your own making? Or are you worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus? Are you worshiping the Jesus of your own making, a customizable Jesus? One that's going to give you everything you want? Or are you worshiping the true Jesus of the Bible? You're like, well, how do I know, Felix? How do I I know, Pastor? How, How do I find that out? Ask yourself these questions. Does the Jesus you worship ever contradict you? Does the Jesus you worship Ever contradict you does he ever step on your toes does he ever go against the things that that you say or do because the one true Jesus will do that the one of your own making won't does the Jesus you believe in uh, does he look like you the Jesus you believe in does, does he look like you does he act like you does he does he allow you to do the things that you always do does he does he want the same things like you do does he desire the same desires of your own heart um the jesus that you worship does he let you stay exactly where you are at and never require you to change from the moment you met him the jesus that you worship is he ever moving you see the true jesus will always contradict you who will always do something to stir in your heart When you're hating someone, when you're hating someone, he will come and he will tell you, hey, no, forgive them because I've forgiven you. When you worship the true Jesus, he will show you the fact that because he has forgiven you, we are to forgive others. When we're going astray, the true Jesus tells us, no, that is not my way. That is a way that leads to death. Come and follow me. The true Jesus, are you worshiping? Is he asking you to follow him? But when you start to sin, does the true Jesus pierce your heart with conviction? When you start to sin, does the true Jesus pierce your heart with conviction through the Holy Spirit, even if it means killing your happiness? See, only the real Jesus can change you. Only the real Jesus can transform us. And only the real Jesus can ultimately fulfill all of our heart's desires. I was thinking about this I was looking up different um, quotes and things and There's a quote by an old English uh, poet In the 19th century His name is W.H. Alden If you know him I, I can't believe you know him Because I mean I-, I mean Wow Some of you might know him So this guy used to be a, uh, an, a Christian Then he became an atheist And he went back to becoming a Christian But when he was an atheist He kind of made a lot of atheist friends and so they were kind of freaked out whenever he became a Christian again. And they asked him, why did you go back? Why did you become a Christian again? And, and uh, Auden says this. He says, I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. He is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I, have, if I could have made him in my own ma- image says, he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. He's saying that he has read the New Testament. He's read stories about Jesus, and the what Jesus in the New Testament is nowhere near the Jesus that he could create if he was to create a fairy mythical Jesus. Because if we're going to create a god, if we're going to create a fairy uh, in, a, in a fairy tale, a fake Jesus, wouldn't we want this Jesus to be everything that we want? But yet the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus, goes against all that. The Jesus of the Bible contradicts what we want, defies our own expectations. He's the opposite of everything we would want to be if we would have made him up. Therefore, Auden concluded that he is real. Then his friends asked him, man, but what about Buddha, man? Like, what about Buddha and Muhammad? What about, what about those guys? What, what, what's the difference between Jesus and those guys? And why do you choose Jesus and not Buddha and Muhammad? And Auden said this. He goes, well, none of those others arouse all sides of my inner being to cry out, crucify him. He's saying that Buddha and Muhammad, other, other gods out there, other superior beings... Don't urge me to want to kill them. Don't urge me to want to push them away because they don't challenge me. Jesus goes against everything I want. So obviously he is a God who is over me. He is a God who, who wants better for me. And I don't even understand it. And I hate it because it's causing me to want to say crucify him just like the Jews did in that crowd that day. When they realized that Jesus was not the Jesus that they wanted, the Jesus that they were worshiping was not the one that they wanted, he was something else, the initial response was to say, crucify him. He's challenging us. Crucify him. He wants us to die to ourselves. Crucify this man. He is not the guy that we want. Church, are you worshiping the Jesus of your own making just like the crowd did that day? If you're able to see yourself in that crowd, I want you to know there is hope for us. Maybe you, you see yourself and you say, "Maybe I've created this Jesus that just doesn't. It just, he's always my. He's always there for me. He's always my cover. That's great, and that's that's what we want, you know. But he, I never allow him to challenge me." Or maybe we're worshiping that Jesus that, that we just, we're investing so much time in. Like, I know if I do this, if I do this, then I know I'm going to get this in return. And if I don't get this in return, then I'm just going to keep investing and investing in Jesus. If, if we're in that crowd today, there is hope for us. If we're in that crowd that is constantly just singing praises to God and expecting great and awesome, happy things for our life all the time. If we're in that crowd, there is hope for us. The good news is that Jesus didn't go to the cross for people who got it. See, those Jews missed the point. When they were reading the scriptures, they missed the point. And many of us, sometimes we miss the point too. We lose fact sight of the fact that Jesus wants us to worship him above all things over everything else. And sometimes we just miss that point. But the truth is, is that Jesus went to the cross and he died for the people who totally missed it, not for the people who totally got it. See, the true Jesus rescues us from the Jesus of our own making. The true Jesus will rescue us from the Jesus of our own making. And how I know he does that. How I know that this true Jesus cares enough for about us to do that. Because in the Gospel of Luke, Luke expands a little bit more about this story. See, Mark is a cut to the chase kind of guy. Mark is the type of guy that just kind of, he likes to highlight the, he's like, you know, he's like sports center. He just gives you all the great clips. He doesn't give you the whole game, but Luke, no, no, Luke is different. Luke wants to tell you, he's like a woman. He wants to tell you every little detail that you really don't, you know, like you don't really know if you really need to know that, but Luke gives it to you no matter what. Women, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to pick on you. Don't kill me. But Luke expands upon this story. And as Jesus is walking, uh, riding in on the donkey, as he's coming in on the donkey, and everyone's around him, they're just cheering and crying out to him. Jesus says this. It says, this is Luke 41. Luke 19, 41. He says, and when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. When Jesus saw the city, he started to cry and weep over it. And he was saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Like, what does that mean? Jesus, upon hearing the praises of people coming into the city, and upon hearing and seeing people worshiping him, he starts saying, if you only knew why I was here. If you only knew the purpose of me coming here is not for you to worship me and exalt me and make me this great king, if you only knew that I was here to die for you, if you only knew that I was here to shed my blood so that we can all be forgiven of our sins, if you only knew that, but your eyes are blind to it, and he starts to cry. These tears are not to be interpreted as, as tears because Jesus was wanting love but they were tears because he knew that these people were lost. And he just did not get it. it was the tears of God's divine mercy. So he had every right to destroy everyone in that town completely. But yet, with his mercy, he kept going to the cross. The hope for me and you today is that no matter what you have done, That no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how many times we may have cursed Jesus, no matter how many times we may have rejected Jesus in our sin, no matter how many times we have wronged the name of Jesus, no matter how many times we keep screwing up in the name of Jesus, no matter how many times that we keep getting it wrong, that Jesus still sees you. Jesus sees our sin. He sees our wicked hearts, and he sees our blinded eyes, and yet he kept riding onward towards the town, riding onward to, towards the people who were fixing to reject him and crucify him. And he went so far to the very end to where he hung on the cross. The hope for me and you today is not found in any Jesus of our own making. The hope for me and you today is found in the Jesus who bled upon the cross at Calvary for me and you. The Jesus that calls us to die to ourselves, to lay everything upon his feet and worship him. The Jesus that requires us to give him all of our lives. The Jesus that has given us everything he had. The Jesus that we worship is not a Prozac, District Attorney, Retirement Plan, Walmart Jesus. The Jesus that we worship is the son of a living God. And he died for me and for you. We're going to stand right now. We're going to worship one more time. I'm going to pray over you. As we're praying, if you need to come up for prayer, if we're worshiping, if you want to come up, I'll be up here. We're going to have a time of commitment. As we all stand, I want you guys to just reflect upon that. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the Jesus of your own making? Or are you worshiping the one true Jesus? Jesus. We pray over you. And as you feel led to, as the song starts in just a little bit, as you feel led to, you can come up and pray with me. But Father God, we thank you so much for these people today. God, we thank you for your son's blood who, who, who bled on the cross for us. Lord, and we just beg and ask for forgiveness today. May you forgive us for chasing dreams that are not you. May you forgive us for worshiping things that are not you may you forgive us for straying away and missing the point of who it is that you really are may you forgive us for taking our eyes off of you, may you forgive us for just becoming um, selfish in what we want you to do for us, may you forgive us for all of those things Lord may you just forgive us as we repent here today Jesus may you move us forward May you open up our blind eyes to see. And may we never take our eyes off of you again, Lord. Lord, may we see that no matter how crazy it gets, no matter how 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 just dist- crazy the storms may be around us no matter how how wild the winds might get but we know that it is well in our souls lord that it is well that we are focused on you lord and we know that the wind and the waves still cry out your name that we can trust you in any circumstance lord that we can have faith and trust and believe in the one true jesus christ May we believe that and may we honor and proclaim it today. In Christ's name we humbly pray. Amen. Let's worship.